I'm with Anne Luce, and we're talking about media reporting guidelines for suicide. Tell us about the kind of background to this work, Anne. Um, well, I think we probably have to go back to 2008 when I started working. I was actually in Cardiff uh, at the time when the Bridgen suicides just down the road um, started to occur. At the time, I was a PhD student, so I was my original idea was looking at child uh, representations of child suicide in the media. Um, and I was really going down the whole alley of cyberbullying. Um, but actually, uh, when Bridgend happened, it was I was watching it unfold, and it was just down the road. And I thought, you know what, I need to switch this. So, uh, two years into the PhD, turned the tables around, changed the topic, um, and started looking at the Bridgend suicides. And that ended up being the focus of my work. So, for people that don't know, what happened in Bridgend? So, Bridgend, we had a spate of about twenty suicides suicides between January and June 2008. Um, what was interesting about Bridgend was the suicides actually started in 2007, but the media reporting of the suicides didn't start until 2008. Um, it's a confluence, it was like a perfect storm of events that ended up happening that got the local press, the South Wales Echo, to kind of pick up on the story. We had... Um, a young man who had died by suicide in September 2007, his body was found, his two best friends then went and killed themselves, which is sad, but probably not unsurprising because we know they were at a higher uh, a risk, you know, for completion of suicide after they had lost someone close to them. Um, but we had a bullying, uh, there was a, a parliamentary inquiry into bullying, the MP for Bridgend um, haphazardly said in that uh, that parliamentary inquiry, um, you know, yes, there's bullying happen happening, but people are killing themselves in Bridgend. Um, and so what we ended up seeing then was, <clears throat> excuse me, the local press picking up on that, and it became an international firestorm is really the only way you can look at it. So the press picked up on it. They then started tracking suicides. The national press got involved in it. And what was interesting about that was when I tracked it with the national press, um, normally in the journalism business, different uh, wire agencies will send out press releases. They're not really press releases, but they'll send out stories from their agency. So the Wales Press Agency uh, went ahead and set out a red top only version of their story about suicides in Bridgend to all of the newspapers. So normally you will have a red top version and you'll have a quality press version. In the case of Bridgend, they only sent out the red top. And that, that is kind of ignored because how you write for a publication like The Sun, very different for how you would write for a publication like The Guardian. So every newspaper picked up the red top version. So that le le lent itself to the sensationalistic reporting we saw with Bridgend. Um, you know, the fact that they kept the running tally of, you know, the suicides that were happening in that area. It, it was really horrific to watch it uncover. You know, when females started to hang themselves, that was a big issue. And that was that was challenging anyway, because that was something we really didn't see. Women weren't really the ones who used those more violent methods of suicide. So this Bridgend was a really interesting time. But we started to see suicide cults, suicide packs, suicide club. It was a suicide town. But actually, when you look at the underlying moral panic 
that emerged around Bridge End. And not a lot of people, you know, again, we don't talk about it, but the moral panic was around social networking sites. So suicide just happened to be the vehicle by which, as a society, we were able to show our concern. And, you know, we had middle-aged white newspaper men who didn't understand that you could have friends on Facebook and Bebo, which was Bebo back then, um, without actually really knowing them, you know, it, but they didn't understand that. And so they were trying to make links between these young people that just weren't there. Um, it became really, um, uh, I don't know how we could say it, but there was, it was antagonistic between the press, the police, um, because the pre the police came out and started saying, well, the media, you're to blame. Um, but what was interesting about that was when that happened, I had been tracking the media coverage and actually the media coverage was declining. So we were actually on a downward slope until um, a particular charity came out and said, you need to stop reporting this story and journalists love nothing more than to be told what to do. So we saw a spike there. But every time we were on a decline, someone in a third sector organization or police would come out and say, stop doing this. And then you'd see an increase again. So actually, Bridgend was artificial in many ways, and it was just a series of missteps um, on so many different levels, but unfortunately, it had consequences. Um, the media reporting was bad. The, it was gratuitous. It was sensationalistic. It glorified. It did everything. It stigmatized. It did everything that we said it shouldn't do. For me as a researcher, it was um, an amazing opportunity to really look at how the press can report suicide irresponsibly and unethically. Um, and so it allowed me to be able to figure out what are the categories that they use in terms of describing suicide. And so that then became the foundation for all of the work that I've done, I've done since. And you're a researcher, but you're also a journalist. So you've seen this from both sides of the... I've seen the it from both right? sides, but I've also been bereaved by suicide. So I, I sit in a really interesting place in the middle of all this where I have been the journalist who has irresponsibly reported on suicide. I have gone back and, and looked at all of the pieces that I've written over my journalistic career. And now I sit and cringe, but... At the time, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't look at media reporting guidelines. I think they, I vaguely knew they existed, but I didn't have time, you know, to, to actually look at it. And there's so many different guidelines for journalists. Everyone has a guideline. So, I mean, it, you know, and it sounds quite brash and crass, but actually I just, it didn't matter to me at that time. Um, but then I was bereaved by suicide and my newspaper covered the death of my partner at the time and that was an interesting experience because I was absolutely outraged you know a guy who I was a close friend with in the newsroom who sat three desks down from me um, reported the suicide and I couldn't understand why he was being so mean like what was he doing um you know, I then did some more journalism after my partner's death and, you know, really focused on, you know, how can we make this better for everyone and took it on as a bit of a crusade. And I was living in Florida at the time and we didn't have an office for suicide prevention in Florida. So I took that really, you know, 
really a horrific thing that happened, my bereavement, and tried to turn it into something good. And it took a couple years, but we did get an office for suicide prevention started. But and I do my journalism played a massive role in that because it wasn't even on the radar. And Governor Jeb Bush at the at the time just kept saying to me that I was a thorn in his side, and you know, and I was like, well, Jeb, you'll thank me when you're running for president. Didn't quite get there, <laughs> but um, but we we did it, and so you know it got the conversation started. But but I left Florida to then go to Cardiff um, and and start focusing on it from a research perspective. So I think what's really interesting is I can look at it from multiple perspectives now. I can see it from the journalist side because I know how to work as a journalist. I know our, how our practices work. I've been bereaved, so I know the hurt and the pain and the angst that media reporting can cause for someone who's been bereaved. And here I am over in this third area researching this and going, hmm, how can I make this better for everyone? So that's kind of my journey. And it's been over a decade since the Bridgend suicides. Yeah. What's changed? Oh, gosh. I would like to say that um, reporting has gotten better. I'm not really fully convinced that it has. I think there's a lot more awareness of um, how we're... There's a lot more awareness around mental health and suicide. So we're talking about it. So as a society, we're talking about it more. In terms of journalistic coverage, I think there are some newspapers who have embraced media reporting guidelines and they actually do their best. They get it wrong sometimes, but it's not an intentional wrongness which one's a good example oh, i'm not going to name names okay. <laughs> i have to work with these guys on a daily basis um and i need them to be on side uh but i think there are so i'll name some of the bad ones um the daily mail i think comes to mind for everyone the daily express most definitely um the sun is atrocious um, so, I mean, again, when you start looking at the quality press versus the uh, bad press, I don't even give them the red tops anymore, but I mean, they just don't care. And that's, that's, what, and that's what's so um, horrific about it. And you can see, and being a journalism scholar, the thing you can see is the fact that they are just focusing on clickbait. It's a, it's a money-driven, you know, industry. And, you know, and I think we have to remember that, that, you know... A lot of journalists, myself included, go into journalism because you want to change the world. You want to make it a better place. You want to hold power to account. You want to make sure that the underdog is represented. And then you get into the newsroom and you realize that actually it's a completely different beast. It's actually about making money. It's about, you know, furthering the profits of the organization. Um, and, and sometimes the quality reporting just goes out the window for the sake of profits. And, and it's really hard when you have an editor who's telling you, you need to do this. You need to write about the method because that's what's going to get the clicks. And you're going, yeah, but maybe that's not the most ethical thing to do. Well, if you want to keep your job, you'll write about the method. So now all of a sudden you're thinking, well, I've got rent or I've got a mortgage payment and, you know, I've got a family to feed. And so it, it becomes quite complicated to start unpacking some of these things. So, and I don't always... I don't always think that there's a negative intent to harm. I don't think that journalists go into their stories thinking, let me see who I can hurt the most today. 
But I think by, you know, the production practices of journalism, that is where the problem is. And that's where we need to be focusing our efforts as a suicide prevention community who are working in the area of media. Yeah, and media guidelines, I think a bit like healthcare guidelines, they're these big tones that, you know, are completely unusable by people working at the front line and have no time and interest. Yeah. So how can we communicate the essentials of good reporting of suicide to journalists who have no time? Yeah. So that's something that we really have looked at. So my colleague Sally Ann Duncan and I, Sally Ann's up at Strathclyde University, uh, we have come up with the responsible suicide reporting model. This is based on work that Sally Ann has done around bereavement uh, and just looking at representations of bereavement in journalism. So not just suicide specifically, although it is included. And then all of the work that I've done around the Bregen suicides and, and other suicides that I've added in over the years to test my model. Um, and so what we've done is we've mapped those onto each other to create a new model and a new standard of moderation. Um, the standard moderation actually incorporates all of the media reporting guidelines that are produced from you know, the Samaritans, the World Health Organization, the Society for Professional Journalists, the National Union of Journalism, the RTE guidelines. I mean, so all the major guidelines in the world, except for Mindframe in Australia, because we kind of left them to do their own thing because they're so great at what they do. But everyone else's guidelines we took and we mapped it on. And so what we've done now is we've come up with a standard of moderation, which is six questions that if journalists ask themselves these six questions while they're doing their story, they will have a story that is moderate in all of the ways we need it to be when they're reporting on suicide. So we're not censoring them and not telling them that they can't report suicide. We're just asking them to reflect and see if there's any problems before they print or publish. And what's that? I've got the six questions in front of me. We can we can publish them with the podcast so people can have a look. What's what response have you got from jobbing journalists? Well, these? we presented it at the World Journalism Education Council or Congress, sorry, in um, Paris in July, and it was overwhelmingly positive by the journalists in the room. They they really you know came to us and said this is an amazing opportunity. They don't have time to look at media guidelines. They can't. They can't even remember where to find them or, you know, and the hunt for them is, you know, the challenge. So our goal would be to be taking these six questions um, and actually having them printed on a card so the journalists can keep in their back pocket. So when you're out in the field, you know, and you're filing from your car in, you know, an ASDA parking lot, um, or if you're back at your desk, you can just pull out your wallet or your purse and there's the six questions that you can be reflecting on and you can fix it right then and there before it actually gets uh, out into the public sphere. It, it strikes me that we're all journalists in, in some senses these days, you know, with our kind of Instagram pages and our massive yeah. kind of followings on social media. Yeah. Um, how can these kind of principles reach those sorts of people in terms of how they discuss this stuff? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, we, we were talking to some journalists about this and, you know, one of them said to us, well, actually, these could be used for anything. You know, you we you know as a journalist, they could apply these questions to covering a local car accident or a murder or you know anything that has an element of trauma associated to it. 
And the same with, you know, with, with people who are working online, things like that. Now, we're going to be creating a suicide reporting toolkit that will be going live in January, and that will be open to everyone. And there'll be an area for journalists, um, which will, you know, provide them with some supportive tools that they can use, you know, while covering suicide. But we're also going to have an, an area for journalism educators and communicators and anyone else so that if you're teaching this or you want to strengthen what's going on in your local community, you can just go on here and you can take down the training materials and you can just offer them to your, your, your students, to a training course, to your colleagues in your office. You know, if you're working in a PR firm, you know, it'll be able to be adaptable so that everyone can be doing this responsibly and ethically. It's so nice to see research work when it actually ends up with something which is so practically useful and going to have impact. So, Well, I think for us, we're journalists, so we know what needs to happen, you know, and it drives me nuts when there is a 17-year gap in getting something published. So, you know, what we're talking about today hasn't been published yet. But that doesn't mean that it's not ready to be used by journalists in their day-to-day life. And we have actually, we've given this to several journalists. So we know that journalists who are working at CBS, you know, they're using it already. You know, we know people at our local newspapers are using it. We're giving it to our students, our final year students who are going off to work at the BBC and The Guardian. And, you know, so it's getting out there. Um, It's been through peer review. It's just sitting, waiting to be published in an academic journal um, that you know, who knows, may get out by Christmas this year or next year, or these things take time. they take time, they do. But yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's so important to get it out there so it can be like acted on now, and that's what's so crucial about research into practice. Great work! Thanks a lot for sharing Thank it with you. me. Thanks so much for the interview. <laughs> mm-hmm.